with video it's very much like finding the beauty in the moment and like making the best of a situation rather than making the situation join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts learn from them listen to their war stories celebrate their wins and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey Welcome to the Cat Explorer Podcast. I'm Asara. And I'm Daniel. Today's episode is part two of our chat with Lely and Kevin, where we continue to dive into how to video our cats. If you missed part one, we really recommend jumping back to the last episode and having a listen. Before we jump in and continue our chat with Lely and Kevin today, we'd like to say a huge thank you to our amazing producers for season eight of the Cat Explorer Podcast, particularly our co-producers, Millie and Kelvin, Barbara Maverick, Ziggy and Charlie, Mac, Luna Misty Blue, Adami, and Roxy the Kitty. Thank you so much. If you would like to support Cat Explorer, you can join the Cat Explorer Purse Squad or the Cat Explorer Producers. There's a link for that in your short notes, which you can get to by clicking the episode description on your podcasting app. We're really excited for you to hear part two of our chat with Lily and Kevin. We dive into the technical side of videographing our cats, using our phones and GoPros for videography, sorting video files, and also how you can edit your videos to make them interesting. The first few minutes of this chat are a little technical, but bear with us because Lily and Kevin also share some great tips for videography novices soon after that. It's really interesting you're talking about photography and stills with DSLRs because another challenge that I know I have and I know a lot of our community have is that um, we've got this moving subject so the cat is moving and you can pan with them but the struggle is to keep them in focus in the video Uh so do you have any suggestions on how we can keep the cat in focus particularly not particularly if we're using something like GoPro or our phone or something like that yeah, I mean, again, a wide lens will keep everything in focus. So if you're using a wider lens, you're going to have more depth of field. Um, and, and it's going to be much more forgiving than having a tighter lens. So You should probably explain depth of field. Yeah, depth of field is um, the distance that's in that's kept in focus uh, when you set your focus length. So when you set the focus on a lens, it gives you a distance. That's how far from the from the film plane, from the camera body, basically, to the subject um, that's going to be in focus. And the depth of field is the area in front and behind of that that's going to remain in focus. And then it will go out of focus. And people call it bokeh, the bokeh effect, which means that the background's all blurred. Well, that just that's a shallow depth of field. It means that the area that you're focused on um, is very short. Uh, and a wide angle lens gives you a greater depth of field, which means you've got more of the area in focus. So it just means that you've got uh, more area to play with uh, before before the subject goes out of focus. If I it always think about it like slices, like slices of reality. And you can pick which slice of reality is in focus. And with in a distance. wide angle lens, your slice is very large. So you like from you to the horizon, you've got like a large slice in there that's mm. in focus. Yeah. Hard to explain though. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, with a wide angle lens, you've got pretty much if, and then you've got f-stops as well. So you need to know that with f-stops, you <laughs> if you stop a lens down, you're going to get a greater depth of field. And if you open a lens up and have a 
the smaller f star, um, a smaller number, which is a, a, a wider aperture, you're going to have less depth of field. This is a sort of photography lesson. It's the same in photography. That's just how lenses work. Um, it's the same in video or stills. Lenses work the same way. Um, so you probably just have to do a bit of background reading about how lenses work uh, and focus and stuff like that. It's but, worth noting, actually, that even if you're shooting on a phone or a GoPro that doesn't like give you control over these things, they're still there. So um, like, although there might not be a button that says F-stop, chances are if you're like increasing the brightness, you're having an impact on that. So it's just, it is worth, if you're into it, it's worth knowing the kind of core principles behind yeah. so that you know what you're playing with when you're changing settings, even it's actually harder when you don't know what you're changing. It's much harder. <laughs> yeah, there's a really good app actually for shooting on phones called Filmic Pro. And it basically puts all the settings for your camera into manual. So it turns it into basically what like a DSLR is. So you can you can set the f-stop and you can set the shutter speed, which is really important. The problem is whether it be an automatic, like Lady was saying, making it brighter or darker. Sometimes the camera will change the f-stop and sometimes the camera will change the shutter speed. Well, both have an effect on the picture and the shutter speed is probably the more, most detrimental one. If you've got a high shutter speed, you're going to get a juddery image. You get like a staccato effect where anything that moves in the frame has a sort of, it's pretty ugly looking and it sort of, it jumps and it doesn't have smooth movement. And ideally you're looking for about a 50th of a second shutter speed and then you're going to get nice smooth movement. Um, but if you've got no control over that, the camp, the, the phone's going to decide for you and it, and it changes the settings. So if you have a, an app that puts your phone into manual, then you can dictate what f-stop you want to use and what shutter speed you want to use and what film speed you want to use. And then it turns it into a much more useful, useful uh, device. Um, so that, that's a really handy thing to have. Although it sounds complicated, like they said, although it sounds complicated, you know, with f-stops and focal length and shutter speed, it's actually really easy. You can learn it in a day. It's not difficult. Um, and it's much better to be in, <clears throat> be in control of it than it is let the camera decide for you because you haven't got a clue what's going on. So you're going to get a much better quality video if you can, if you can choose what, what settings it has. And that's the um the triangle. Gosh, I've forgotten what the triangle's called. The exposure is it the exposure triangle? Where um you mean like, we spoke about Oh the relationship sorry, yeah. between the three things. Three, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've got um film speed, uh F stop and shutter speed. And between those three you can adjust each one of those is going to have an effect on the brightness, the exposure. Um, and they also have an effect on the picture quality, the picture, the way the, the way the picture looks. So if you change the film speed, which is like the ISO, you can make the shot brighter or darker with that. But you're going the higher you make that, the higher the number is, the brighter you make it, the more noise you'll get. So it'll get grainy. You'll get that sort of like, you know, the fuzzy look. And then if you change the f-stop, to make it brighter and darker that changes your depth of field which means how much is in focus whether more or less of the image is in focus and then if you change the shutter speed that's going to have an effect on the brightness as well um the exposure but it's also going to make the image uh, jumpy or smooth mm. i think it's worth saying especially when i watch you shoot and actually when you shoot for tv these kind of like enshrined is the shutter speed actually 
isn't a variable like you you would it's set fixed, it at yeah. a fiftieth. Never that's moves. quite nice because once you've set that at a fiftieth, you can remove it from the equation. Then you've only got two things to worry about. So it's actually slightly easier than in photography where you would play with shutter. Yeah. In video, shutter's a given. Just find out what what you need it to be at. Something. It's usually fiftieth. <laughs> I tell you what it is. It's half the frame rate. Mm. So whatever frame rate you use, if you want to shoot at 30 frames a second, it's the 60th. It's it's the 60th. If you shoot at 25 frames a second, it's the 50th. Mm. So it's basically, um, it's du- if you double your frame rate, that's the fraction that you'll be using. But it's essentially around 50 or 60 because the, the whole world works on either 30 frames a second or 25. So you'll, you'll be shooting either a 50th or a 60th a second. That's it, what Lady says is right. It's once that's fixed and you don't change it, you only have to worry about the other two. The only problem is that that then takes away one of your exposure controls. So shooting at a 50th is quite tricky in bright sunlight. You'll really struggle to get an exposure. So then you have to have ND filters. So then you have to put something in front of the lens to take the light away. The sunglasses on the camera, basically, you need to soak up some of that light. Because if you've only got a fifth, if you look on photography, sometimes you shoot at a two thousandth of a second in bright sunlight. Um, you need to soak up some of that light. So if you fixed your shutter speed um, at a fiftieth, um, you're, you're going to be overexposed a lot of the time. So you need to take some of the light out by using ND filters on the front of the lens. Which, if you've got a DSLR, is quite easy to do. You can buy them; they just screw into the front of your lens um, in different strengths, and um, they can be really useful. Yeah, you can get variable ones as well, which you just turn it and it makes it lighter and darker on the front, which is a really handy thing. And then you've got—it's quite nice now because the digital cameras are really good with film speed, like ISO. You've got quite a lot of control. You pr- can't go less than about f- than fifty ASA fifty. But you can probably go right up to like 8,000 now and you're not getting too much um, grain. They're great. Video cameras, digital cameras are great in low light, but they still don't cope with bright light because you you need to soak up that light if you've fixed it at a 50th. So it's shooting low light is getting a lot easier. But if you're shooting in bright sunlight and you want a 50th of a second, you've probably got to put something on the front of the lens to, to take the light away. Either that or shoot at a very, very um, closed f-stop. But the problem with that is then you've got uh, a huge depth of field, which a lot of people don't like, whereas everything's in focus and it looks quite sort of bright and like video-y. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of got another problem there. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I might do is um, for those who are interested in the, tri- the exposure triangle, I'll put an uh, image of that in the show notes. And then if, these mobile phones have come a really long way. So if a lot of these things just don't sound like they make a lot of sense to you and you don't have access to an SLR, you can just play around with the aperture, which is the f-stop, the um, ISO, which is, um, oh, gosh, I'm just like yeah. blanking. The film speed, essentially. Yeah. But that's, yeah, yeah. film speed is a really old-fashioned term now because most people have never used film. The thing is, so all these things do exist. Like in my mobile phone, I've got like a night mode so that is a very high iso it's very sensitive that's when you'll be able to shoot in in the night but you'll also get loads of grain so don't use it i guess unless you need to um you can normally set the focus so you've got control over like the where your focus lies one thing i do do is if i want to get that shallow depth of field look with the bokeh in the background is i'll often um on my 
phone I'll often zoom in and then tap tap let's say I'm focusing on a cat Lola like I'll tap on Lola and you'll see the background drop out of focus because I've, I've zoomed in on her and focused on her so that's kind of like if you want to if you want to cheat a bit of bokeh and you're not like you can make your camera give it to you also creating lots of distance between your subject and the background obviously helps so like having your cat very close and then focusing on them <laughs> then the background is more likely to to drop off into nice mystical bokeh <laughs> <laughs> and that's yes. like when it's all blurry so your focus is like on your cat um yeah, because I know that's something that people in photography love. So I've always tried to get it with videography, but then I just end up losing the focus there. So um, that's the truth. Yeah, you have to keep focusing with yeah. with video. You're always focusing. You've, your hand is always on the focus wheel. With stills, it isn't. You get you set the focus. I suppose with stills, you probably use auto a lot of the time. People use autofocus. Well, in video, it's getting much better, but autofocus doesn't really work. Uh, you kind of need to have your, if you're using an SLR, have your hand on the focus wheel, on the focus ring, and you're constantly focusing. And you just get used to it. As you move closer to your cat, you focus in. Mm -hmm. And as your cat moves away, you focus out. After you've done it a lot, you don't even think about it. It's like riding a bike or something. You just naturally do it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just something you have to practice and get used to. On a phone, it can be helpful. Some phones have it and some don't, where you can lock the focus. And then it can be really handy to set it on the wide view, like Kev was talking about. Get your cat like the distance from you that you ex you want them to be in the frame. Focus, like tap on the screen, focus on them, and then if you can lock it there. And then if you were say we were doing the shot we we're talking about where you like you're tracking along at ground level with your cat, you just have to make sure then your camera stays roughly the same distance from your cat as when you set the focus, and then it will roughly stay in focus. So that's kind of it's really useful if you can if you can lock it because I know with a phone otherwise the auto kicks in and it it thinks it knows better than you mm. and it's like oh look a street sign and you're like no the cat the cat yeah the cat. <laughs> it's hunting focus it sort of wants to it doesn't know what you because the camera doesn't know what you want the focus on it it just picks whatever there's the largest thing in the frame usually mm. um, and it says oh that's the focus but it isn't because it isn't what you wanted. So that's why manual focus is much, much better, because you can dictate where the focus sits. Mm. What about if you're using something like a GoPro? Because you can't necessarily focus on that, can you? No. No, you don't. But they're, they're so wide, aren't they, a lot of the time? They've got a very small sensor, and they've got quite a wide lens. So I think GoPros, I mean, last time I used a GoPro, and it's been a while, they, everything seemed to be in focus pretty much it think, seemed to be quite a big quite a wide focus I don't know can you can you split the focus now I think you can go do tighter frames on them now so right. I guess the answer is stick to the like you know like when it goes almost fisheye that's the um nothing will ever be out of focus ever setting <laughs> and then and yeah. then using that close to your cat actually is quite cool yeah sure. There was a guy that, yeah, using a wide-angle lens close up to be nice. There was a guy I used to work with, and he used to use a GoPro for his stills a lot because it was so small. He kept it in his pocket. It was one of the newer GoPros, uh, and he used it for stills, and he used the wide-angle lens on it, and he just got very close, and he got some lovely shots on it, really nice stills. Um, but it is because it's, I think, because it's a, it has a certain look, you have to work around it. It works in a certain way it doesn't work for everything it's not like you can shoot everything with it you kind of got it it dictates how the shot's going to look you know 
Yeah, the GoPro definitely is useful in certain situations, but it does have its limitations because yeah. it can't do a lot of things you described before in terms of changing and mm. manipulating it. But from memory, it does actually have a focus lock setting. You just got to know how to use it. And like, it does come, like with everything you've said so far, like it does take a bit of research and sort of a bit of experiment to figure out how to best use it because none of these things are going to be any use if you don't know how to use them and what the right situations are to use them. Mm. So like yeah. you mentioned with, with the focus lock, if you're at a different focal length to your cat and you keep, when you're doing a tracking shot, you keep moving that length, it's mm. not going to work too well compared to say if you held that right length that would keep it in focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you've locked it and you keep the same distance from the subject, it's always going to be in focus, but you have to have a mental tape measure in your head between the cat and the camera and as it starts to extend it's going to go out of focus so you've got to keep it the same distance i think the nice thing about having a focus lock is like that the viewer has quite a lot of tolerance for things naturally falling in and out of focus like also we're used to it in our natural lives that if something like goes further away we might be able to not see it so clearly and it comes back in you can even use it as part of your storytelling I, I think, made a career out of it. Yeah. <laughs> sort of 70% like, in focus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you see those um, like master interviews in like very high end documentaries that have like a very shallow depth of field. So like the person's nose is often like dropping out of focus and they're, they're like wipes their eyes are like really pingy and sharp. You can use that. So I would, if you can, I'd always opt for the focus lock and then tolerate like a little bit of dropping in and out versus the autofocus where like if you're if you're perfectly focused on your cat and then you're perfectly focused on the street sign as you go past it's like it's very disorienting as the as the viewer so yeah I mean that adds, that adds to the fluidity of your filming having the focus go in and out because it sort of adds a sort of there's another a whole different like a new dimension to it but you have to get the focus back again that's like Lady was saying it's okay to drift out as long as it comes back again you know you don't want to end out of focus particularly or start out of focus. And as long as it starts and ends in focus and there's a little bit of shift in the middle, you're generally all right. And you can cheat that from where you cut in and out. So you can shoot for like three minutes walking along with your cat and then find like the perfect 10 seconds that mm. starts and ends in focus. So we'll be talking about videography and one topic that's close to us because we've got white cats is how do you shoot white cats or other end of the spectrum black cats like do you have any tips because in the sun the white cat gets blown out of you know proportion in terms of the highlights and stuff and like you know, I imagine darker cats would probably have a similar problem in certain settings so how would we shoot these type of cats and you know do you have any suggestions on evening light lighting and all that sort of stuff yeah it's um it's always tricky with everything if you've got if you've got something dark in front of something light you're going to have a contrast problem because the camera can't cope and, it, and often in auto it doesn't know if you've got manual control that's going to help straight away if you're using auto the camera will struggle if you've got a, a, a dark cat in front of a bright background or vice versa because the camera doesn't know which one to expose for it doesn't know whether you want the white to not overexpose or the black not to underexpose so it kind of finds a middle ground sometimes or just exposes for one or the other so having manual manual control of your exposure will help and then you choose whether you want to expose for the background or the foreground so you then expose for if it's a dark cat against a bright background you expose for the cat 
and let the background blow out to a degree because um, it'll tolerate that if the background burns out a little bit. Um, the best thing to do is not choose backgrounds that are contrasting to the cat. So if you've got a black cat, don't put it against a white wall when you film it. You know, that that's always going to give you trouble. If you can find a dark background uh, for a darker cat, then you're going to be able to expose, you know, much better for, for, for both of them. Then if you can, the thing is with cats, they move a lot. So <laughs> the, all these things are great in theory. Like I could say, oh, yeah, find a little patch of light and put them in it, you know, and find, you know. <laughs> And then that's never going to happen because they won't want to sit where you want them to sit. So you kind of just have to go with it a lot of the time. But you're back. Remember the other thing with a, with a movie camera is, or any camera, you dictate the background by moving the camera. Everything moves. You can move everything. You can move trees and houses. It's like magic if you want with your camera by taking a few feet for a few steps forward and back left and right. You can move things within the frame within relation to each other. So if you want to have a tree growing out the back of somebody's head, you've only got to take two steps across and you can do that. And if you want to lose it, you take two steps and it literally moves. It's like moving huge things, which is sort of magic. And it's the same with your background. If your cat is sat in front of you in front of something very bright, you probably only got to take two or three steps in one direction to find a nice dark green bush to put it in front of. And then you're going to have a much more even exposure. So think about the background in relation to the foreground. So lighting your cat's probably not going to work because they won't stay where you've put them unless you're going to have huge lights, which you're not going to have access to. So you're going to have to work with what you've got, the natural lighting. So if you can find a darker background for your darker cat and vice versa, uh, a lighter background for your lighter cat. And you do that by moving the camera. The only thing we do do in terms of lighting is... I mean, we do this when we're shooting things for Superkit, where we, like, if a cat is sitting, like, lying down, maybe, like, cleaning its paw, and you just think, oh, that looks really adorable, I want to shoot that, is you bounce light quite yeah, a lot? Yeah, I use mirrors quite a lot. It depends. If you've got two people, I suppose, if you, if you, when we're doing it, we're sort of thinking sometimes, it's, you know, it's like product photography and things, so there's a, so we're both doing it. So you need, again, two, it's a two or three-man job, often, filming, um, but bouncing light in with mirrors really works. Mm. So usually in a room, most people's rooms only have a window at one end and then they don't have anything at the other side. So you've always got quite a lot of contrast. It always comes in from one side, which can look lovely. Um, but if you want to get some light back in from that window, if you're, if you're shooting into the window, just prop a mirror up uh, on a table and bounce the light from the window back in against the against the window frame if your cat sat in the window, say, because they do tend to. That's I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? A lot of the time cats sit in win on window cells mm -hmm. in windows. And the ideal place for the camera is just outside the window, but that doesn't work because you can't get there. So you end up shooting from the wrong side. So you end up either overexposed background or underexposed foreground. In that case, you just put a mirror on the table and bounce the light from the window back in. And that works really well. That really lifts it up. Mm. It can but, be really handy with dark cats just yeah. to get a bit of light and left there. But you generally need somebody else to hold that mirror <laughs> and move it because the cat will move. So you need to be a bit of an expert in bouncing light, which isn't as easy as it sounds. You're kind of following them with a spotlight. I think, And I think it's a bit difficult to do while you're cat exploring, but I really like yeah, your idea of moving the camera and 
using that to change the background. So, for example, um, we've spoken about it a lot. We take Lumos and Noxie in our laneway um, next to our house. Very boring laneway, really not going to make interesting videos besides if they do something cute. But the other day um, I accidentally put my camera down in a weird, awkward position and took a photo. And what I realised was the background was actually the sky instead of the dark bush and now judging by what you guys have said that would be good for a video angle because the sky is bright like them yeah yeah, yeah so the exactly. scene would be yeah the same exposure and i think another thing that has really jumped out to me is all those rules that you learn as a when you learn photography you need to let them go when you're yeah. doing videography because the aim with photography is that you need that contrast so if you're taking a photo of your white cat, you don't have a white background. Take, similarly, if you're taking a photo of a black cat, you don't have a black ba background. But that would actually be useful in videography. It can yeah. be, yeah. It yeah. depends on the standard of. It depends what camera you're using. You have everything's dictated by what your, you know, what quality of camera you've got. Because a, a movie camera takes, it's taking 25 stills, still shots every second. It's an amazing amount, and it has to not just do it for one second, but for every second for the next. 30 minutes so it can't process the same as a stills camera you've got such a lot of latitude because it's got a lot more processing power with a video camera it has to process all those pictures one after another and so you, it just doesn't have the contrast range a lot of the time um when i say use a darker background you don't necessarily have to use the same color background because they'll they'll blend in but something that's just a little bit easier for the camera to cope with mm -hmm. so you don't want something really bright and really dark, unless you want to go for a silhouette, obviously, or something, unless you want that as a, as a, as a look. But having a nice dappled green background with a dark cat is going to work, you know, a lot better than having something really bright. Mm -hmm. And likewise with your, with your white cat, you know? I think it's really true what you were saying, Sarah, about kind of letting go of things, like a lot of videoing. Like with photography, it's kind of like you're, you've exercised quite a lot of control. Like this is the photo I'm going to make. This is how I'm going to set it up and uh, observe all these rules. With video, it's very much like finding the beauty in the moment and like making the best of a situation rather than making the situation. So you kind of like, you, and what's really nice is when you see the camera operator do that. So you can see the camera operator like finding little flashes of light as you're going and like, kind of gigging off the, the beauty in the moment so I think you can it's a much more like it's, it's not easier or harder one way or the other but it's a much freer thing it's much more about like playing in the moment to find the the best angle the best shot etc yeah you have to if you look at a scene you find the best thing in the scene or, the, or what you want so you look at a scene you say oh, I really like that that's looking great I want that as my background so then you move the camera in relation to the cat or whatever the subject is to make that your background. Because you can choose anything. You just have to move your camera and you can make any background you like. You can put all these little pieces together. So you look at it as this, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You go, oh, I want that bit with that bit with that bit. It's going, right, I'm going to make that work. So you move the camera around. So you put one in relation to the other. Um, you know, it, and that's that's kind of how you balance. That's how you frame your shot. That's how you compose it and you balance it. You know, you you pick it and you and you move your camera accordingly. Likewise, you change your lens according to how much of the background you want. Just I mean, it's the same in stills as well. But sometimes there can be a huge scene and one bit of it is beautiful, 
And you want that as your background. You don't want all the other stuff because that's not nice. It's just editing. You go, oh, I like that. So I just want that as my background. So then you choose your lens and you choose your relationship to your cat and that background by hopefully putting your cat down there and playing around in that area. And that's the bit of background that you use. It's up to you which bit you have. It's all there. And you're not going to change the world, but you can change which bit you see of it. And nothing exists at the classic thing in TV that anything outside the rectangle doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. You've seen it, but your viewer will never see it. And I've taken shots in places that are awful, that look beautiful, because all you chose was that one little bit that was gorgeous. And you didn't see the power station off that side. And you didn't see the sort of, you know, massive pile of trash on the other side and a broken down car with no wheels. But what you did see was just that little bit there. So the viewer just thinks, oh, my God, that's idyllic. Isn't that gorgeous? And they wouldn't have seen anything else. But you it's, you can choose it. You pick which bits you want to put in there and uh, and you put the rectangle around it. And then that's that. That's all that exists. <laughs> Can we open Lola? Lola's saying hi. So yeah. I think I guess that kind of moves us on to the next thing we wanted to chat about, which was the so we've taken all these videos, we've got some parts of our um shots that we like, some that we don't like. How do we do you have any suggestions on how we can sort those videos and then any suggestions on editing? <laughs> Sorry, Lola's literally <laughs> giving you the, the wrong end. Lola's just better. showing me a great sign. A great yeah, sign of her. She's there. very proud of herself. In <laughs> yeah. some, I don't know why. Anyway. Anyway, so do you have any recommendations on how we could streamline the sorting of all these videos that we use, and then how do we go about editing them? So, I mean, I feel you. It's the hardest thing, um, and you just end up with like drives and drives and phones and phones of storage um I, I'm going to tell you what I would suggest I have to admit I, I'm not as good about this as I should be the first thing I would say is you you've just got to make peace with like deleting the bad shots um which I find really hard it's a bit like when you grow too many seedlings and you're like I've got to kill some of these um so I would after if you if you've been out for a day and you, you've got lots of footage I would when it's quite fresh in your mind review it and all the like the just bad takes the ones you will never use just delete them there's no point storing them for that rainy day that will never come when you think oh I really want a shot of the floor and then me looking at the down the barrel of the GoPro and then putting it back <laughs> in my bag which we all have a lot of um so yeah as I say not as I do because I have drives and drives of the um the GoPro shot but um and then uh, I would um maybe if you can like I when I used a Mac I used to use the you can um like flag things as like green or red or yellow or I do it on my phone as favorites like flag the shots that you think are kind of the winners so that when you come if you're going to first of all if you're just going to put them straight on social media you'll have like a um you know folder full of favorites ready to go if you're going to edit them you can you can sort of execute a second whittle which is the, so you've got all the ones and you've deleted the like really bad ones I then normally only import the like green or favorite ones into my editing thing the software whatever I'm going to use so that I'm kind of only playing with the best and if I 
if I think, oh, I'm sure I like, I just need some sort of bridging shot, then I will go back to, we call them the rushes, like the raw shots from the shoot. I'll go back to the rushes and dig it out, but essentially and make sure that I've like done a whittle before I get to editing so that I have a smaller pool of shots to play with. It's um, worth noting that you can do the editing when you shoot as well. Yeah. So don't push the button unless you really want it. Look at it and go, is it good? Does anybody want to watch this ever? <laughs> and it's a really good thing to ask yourself. And if you can go, yeah, I know somebody would really like to watch that and push the button. And if you go, yeah, no, nobody's going to ever like that. Nobody's ever going to tune in to watch that. Then don't don't shoot it. Yeah. You know, and then you can save yourself a whole load of time editing because the problem is you might have golden shots in your rushes that you'll never find mm. because they'll be swamped with all the stuff. And, you know, for all the best will in the world, you'd be going through and you, you'll never find them. You just miss them. Mm. So, yeah, don't really shoot it unless you really like it. Mm. And the other thing is, I mean, again, I, I have to admit, I don't do this so much, but it, it is something I would do when I'm like working professionally is log as you shoot so if you shoot something you're like oh my god I can't believe that just happened it's the best shot ever um like write it down like write down the whatever your file system is on your phone like image 112 is the like it's the money shot so that when you get home and then like life happens and it's three months later that you're actually yeah. pulling this thing out you're like oh, I, I really only need to go to sh- I'm going to the notes on my phone I've shot 1500 or whatever is the one I need and you've got a log um because otherwise like Kev says you just end up with like diamonds lost in a lot of a lot of dust <laughs> yeah, yeah. diamonds in the dust as we say and you're literally panning for them you know you're trying to find them then you go they're, they're in there somewhere but mm. where you know and you can spend days looking for them you know that's a that's the thing I suppose we the difference is I don't know if this applies quite so much, but I suppose it does if you're getting into editing. Generally, if if you've got several takes of the same thing and you're only going to use one of them, go to the end and you use the last one or the second to last one because it'll be the second to last or the last one that's the best one because that's the time you know you've got it. Mm. You've obviously stopped for a you reason. You stopped because <laughs> it felt right. So whenever you're editing, if somebody's editing my rushes, if there's 10 takes of the same thing, they'll watch the last two and pick the best one because usually – it's either the last one you go, yeah, got that. It was brilliant. Or it's the last one you go, yeah, that one before. We're never going to get better than that. So then you go to the one before. So it's usually the, the last two takes are the best. Mm-hmm. So that's the best place to start. And, then you know, you, you very rarely shoot the best one first, then do 10 more. <laughs> because if it was good, it's good. Yeah. You know? And then with storing things, I think there's, personally, I like to make sure that all my rushes, so the raw footage, is in the same place. So I sync my phone with our drive so that like I just know that when I when I'm sitting down I've like carved out that like rare peaceful few hours where I might be able to edit or just review footage that I'm not like oh did I shoot this on the phone or the SLR and have I taken it off the card and so like I think it is worth the discipline to whatever you need to do to get all of your actual files in one place first of it means you can delete them from all the like peripheral places because you've got them backed up you won't lose them but also it just means that you've got like one place to go to look for your um, footage there's some really great tips there and on top of that i'd say make sure you back up your stuff (laughs) back up up all your stuff like i think it was the um one two three rule so like you have it in three different places the same file in three different places into 
and if you want to go the extra step into different locations as well yeah yeah Yeah. we tend like when we were working on a shoot we would always want like a double backup to um two separate drives I have to admit now that when I'm shooting personally if I if I'm if I'm only ever thinking this is going to be something that goes on social media I won't do a double backup because it takes time and um I kind of have to ask myself like how sad would I be if I lost this like if it's if it's like baby photo sad then obviously I'll like triple back it up and I'll make sure it's in the cloud and I'll have it on a you know drive under the bed just in case we get burgled (laughs) but um but if it's like oh yeah I'd be bummed but um like we shoot stuff like that all the time um then I don't and that's a personal preference it's kind of how how much you care about or how like valuable that footage is to you if if it's irreplaceable then you you need to make sure it's in in multiple places so do you have any tips on how we can create those interesting engaging stories in our videos like is there a particular software you'd use or any particular sort of uh, things you would do i I suppose editing really yeah i think it's quite tricky when you you say about like shooting a video it's got so many there's so many different formats to how you string that together you know all the way from like a feature film down to a two second clip you know that, that's going to go on instagram or something so you it's such a wide ranging format um and our background what we used to do was we used to shoot video for editing so you tell the story with the shots the shots within that tell you something and, it, and you know you put drama into a shot uh, or you tell a story with a shot, but then you're going to combine that with three or four other shots. So you make a scene. You've got mm-hmm. a scene in your head. So when you look at something, you go, I've got to tell this story. Or I want to tell this story. You look at all the elements in that scene and you f- take shots for each one of those elements because you know that then they're going to get cut together and the viewer is going to get taken on a on a journey and told a story and it's going to progress. So you'll probably set the scene with one shot then you'll introduce the character that you're going to talk to with the next shot then you'll set up what they're going to do and then you'll you know so each element has a shot that's going to be cut together Mm. so that's something we haven't really delved into and I think it's something people don't do on social media either because it takes a lot of forethought and it takes quite a lot of time to edit and a lot of footage as well if you're going to cut it down I would say I, I feel like it's best to be at one extreme or the other so I feel like if you're like either go for just like a shot, an amazing shot that has storytelling within it and develops, like maybe it starts with your cat and then shows the landscape or, you know, brings some emotion or I would go editing. But if you're going to do editing, I would, I would do it properly. Like I, I've had such a hard time finding apps on my phone, for example, that cut together shots effectively. And actually I think so for our purposes, I tend to use Canva if I just want to like reformat a video. Like if I want to make a landscape video square and post it on Instagram, job done. I think Canva or things like that do that job very nicely. And most actually, most phones have kind of in-house software that will reformat. I feel like if you want to cut shots together, my personal view is, so we use something called, um, I think it's DaVinci Resolve. It's like prosumer, professional-ish um editing software is free it it looks daunting when you first look at it but it's a bit like with the manual settings on the camera I think it's actually worth like the two days maybe of watching YouTube videos it would take to learn how to use it 
versus the like the weeks of just like downloading apps that do one thing but not another they don't like one lets you put music on but not like text Mm. one has like a watermark one does like you know won't do a fade dissolve you know whatever like it I think it's better to just bite the bullet if you're into editing bite the bullet um there's such amazing resources to learn how to use this software um, online like when I started in tv you had to like go to class and like some wizened old editor would tell you the secrets of this software and like it's out there now so and and the software's free which is amazing so I feel like if you're going to go editing like go for it do it do it properly on like a proper piece of software uh and then upload it to your phone we use google drive to like transfer files around um and it will in the long run you're just it's just like they're breath of fresh air like I'm not limited by the technology I can actually just do what I like I can achieve my vision (laughs) Mm. and if you're not editing you were saying about making engaging videos or you if you're doing it in one shot if you're only ever going to get one shot and you're not going to edit it think about what you want the viewer to get from this what's the story what's the emotion that you want to convey is it comedy is it jeopardy is there danger in it is there drama is it is it is there a is there a sort of sad emotion in it and whatever it is that you want that viewer to see think about what is in the frame that's going to convey that to them so then put your camera in that position to tell that story. Mm. You kind of work backwards. You don't, it doesn't start with the camera or the subject. It starts with what you want the person to think and feel from this scene that you've got, that you, that ha- it's how you tell them. And how you compose that shot is, that, 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 that dictates that. So basically what I'm saying is like, if you, if there's something about a perilous moment with a cat on a very thin branch, don't zoom in from the same height as the cat because nobody will ever understand what the danger is or what the problem is or what the jeopardy is and the same as if there's some humor if you can't see the thing that's humorous but you can see the cat you can't see what they're reacting to it's kind of pointless mm-hmm. and you'll get back and you go oh it's not as funny on video as it actually was when you were there and and that's because you kind of failed to get the whole scene to to capture the whole scene so you kind of have to look at it and say what is it about this that i want the viewer to feel and see uh and then work back from that you know that's a good point and on the topic of the software so davinci resolve mm-hmm. is a great free uh version and for clarity that's on your computer so you run that on computer mm-hmm. and i guess some um, others that people may have heard of are premiere pro from adobe and as well as final cut pro on the mac so those are all in that level and like you said like it's it gets a bit more serious but it they're pretty similar across the board to a level like so if you know one like because i've tried both premiere pro and davinci and yeah like some of those shortcuts and stuff like not too dissimilar and yeah they said you can set them up to sim like pretty similar as well so it's yeah not too hard once you get into it and you find a couple of tutorials yeah and Mm. canvas online as well so that's fairly easy to access too yeah Mm. Uh, canvas handy because you can I I often start something on my phone and then finish it off on the computer like depending on where I am at a particular period of time so the fact that that's cross-platform is quite handy but yeah I totally agree with the editing platform it's a bit like with cameras like if you really know how cameras work you can pick up any camera and shoot in like seconds and it's the same with like if you fundamentally understand what how an editing pro like what it needs to give you like it needs to give you channels and there's going to be some video and some audio and you're going to want to cut things if you understand one platform well you'll be able to pick up anyone um which is a really it's a really nice thing Mm -hmm. and it's nice then not 
like it unlocks so much more than just being able to master one piece of software. That's interesting you're saying that's exactly the same with the camera as well as we were saying earlier you know you're saying about your exposure triangle and everything I have it with people saying oh I can use this camera this movie camera but I've never used that one so I can only use this one but not that one you can well if you can use that one you can use any one if you know what all the settings do they're all exactly the same there's literally no camera that you can't use Mm. maybe the menus are a little bit different but to be honest menus don't need setting up most of the time you've only got three controls on a camera nobody's like oh i can play an upright piano but i can't play an electric piano yeah exactly (laughs) the same you know the notes are the same if it sounds good it sounds good so you once you've got your basic controls and you know how each one affects the picture you can use any camera in the world that's why it's kind of worth learning that rather than being dictated to by auto features because you're never really in control uh so yeah it's, it's kind of worth putting the time into learning i think and talking about learning so i know one of daniel's favorite youtubers to watch for camera related things is peter mckinnon do you have any other favorites that views i played around a bit with premiere pro and i have to admit i don't have a certain person that i'll go to i'll just google what my problem is at that very time and find the answer but do you have any favorites on who people should check out do you oh sorry what for editing for camera like for anything for, for, for videography yeah yeah no i don't actually I've I, never watched anything. I'm like you, Hasara. I just I just Google things all the time. I'm like, I believe so passionately in the University of Google. <laughs> yeah. I don't do what I do do is I, I watch what other people have done and copy it. That's kind of, I know it's kind of a basic sort of learning thing, but it, but what I do is I look at videos that I like and I look, look at images and movies and docos that I really like and I go, I'm going to do that. So then I just copy it. But whenever you copy, it's always going to be slightly different because you've done it, you know, and you, and you adapt it and you move it on. So just seeing what you like and, and mimicking it, you know, that's that's the best way to learn. Yeah, and I think it's important that you find your own style as well. Like, mm. So copy what you love and find the people that you enjoy watching their content. And But also, you know, you put your own spin on it and yeah. take the video how you like it and how you feel like, like you know, it looks best and how you would enjoy that shot and the video yeah exactly yeah because yeah. you always adapt it and, and also because you've done it it'll be different because you put your take on it but the techniques that they've used and you go oh god i never thought about doing something i love the way that looks what have they done you know i that really hit me what, what is it about that and then you start studying it and you go oh they're doing this and they're doing that so then you start to just do it and the first time you do it, it probably doesn't work and also every technique doesn't work for every scene but you have it in there and you'll go, oh, I've got in my repertoire, I can do this. So you can pull it out and, and adapt it for whatever you need. But yeah, I think copying other people that you like, you know, just see what they do and go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it like that. And you, you know, like you can watch anything, you can watch movies and just like the moment we started working in TV, like it ruins to a certain extent, like watching movies and TV for you because you're deconstructing it. But equally that's like, that's how you learn and so like watch edits in anything like in YouTube videos or Instagram videos or on TV or in movies watch shots that you that are interesting like we still do it now like we we're watching Umbrella Academy the other day and we we're like oh it's That's amazing how they like they move the camera with the subject we've like never seen it quite like that before and although it's like a totally different genre you could definitely take principles and translate them to mm. working with your cat so yeah like be a magpie Mm. So we're coming up towards the end of the podcast. And before we let you go, we're going to ask you 
our fast four questions, which we ask all our guests. Now, the first one is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to new cat explorers? One that we actually end up giving quite often, um, especially to our customers and audiences, take it slow when, when first starting out. I think there's an expectation, like our expectations of cats, because there's not so much experience with uh, cat exploring as I would say with training a dog, is that they will um, kind of just pick it up straight away. And I think we, um, the temptation is kind of like skip the training part. And I think it's really important to like take the time, invest the time when you're first starting out to, um, you know, to work with your cat slowly, build up their confidence, train them so that you're, you've got like a really good foundation um, for when you venture outside. Mm. Um I think this. I think we found is that you have to remember there's three of you. If it's if it's Lola as well, there's three of us on the journey, and we all have the different expectations of that journey. Mm. Uh, and you have to see it from your cat's point of view as what they are comfortable with and what they want out of it as well. Is it? I think you can expect them to do too much of what you want to do sometimes, and you have to realize it's. There's three people in that relationship yeah. and they all have equal voting rights in a way. <laughs> they all have equal status and they, you shouldn't expect them to do anything that you wouldn't want to do, you know? It's well, like, they've got their own agenda. Like We spend agenda, so much yeah. time sniffing bin. Well, not personally, but like yeah. Lola spends a lot of time sniffing bins. <laughs> Well, I guess and we do. Like, we join in. Like, well, just spend a lot likes, of time you know? like really ugly. Like, she'll pick the ugliest part of any park. Yeah. Find the industrial bins around the back of a restaurant, and that is that's what she wants. And that's what she world. wants, and she's really enjoying that. So then, you that's know, cool. let her do that. You know, and and also I think we're traveling, just only doing as much as everybody is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, and that includes cat and and all the rest of it. So, I think that that's. That makes everybody happier in the long run, even though you might not get as many miles under your belt. Everybody, when you get there, is a lot happier. So it's kind of good. So what's been the most entertaining comment someone has said to you while you've been out and about with Lola? Uh, oh, I had one. I think I might have told you before. Sorry. I had one when I was um, in the park with Lola and my mum, and we were just launching the the like the green and burgundy Gatsby harnesses so I needed to get some photos so halfway through uh, the shoot um, there's like a public toilet in the park I took Lola in there with my mum to swap her out of one harness and put her in the other Um, and it's like a really out of the way part of the park normally there's no one around so I didn't expect to like run into anyone at at the toilets but as I came out there was a woman with her like really like toddler age son and his like little eyes popped out of his head when he saw Lola emerge from the bathroom. And he went, oh, is that is that toilet only for cats? And I was like, oh, no, darling. It's, it's. And my mum was like, no, it's for humans too. <laughs> <laughs> you can just, you know, like with kids, you just, you, they're trying to like understand the world. And he just like oh, found, a found a place for a cat toilet <laughs> in Why his not? world vision. <laughs> it was very sweet. So which which cat explorers inspire you? Like too many to mention. I know it's a cop out, but we're we're so lucky that through what we do and also through you guys, we're introduced to so many amazing cat explorers that inspire us in lots of different lots ways, different ways all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean like And some quite ordinary like like quite ordinary just comments that we sometimes get of people that have done certain things, you know, been on trips and done something and not with big followings or not even particularly for for any reason 
you know, not not for social media reasons. They just done something. You go, God, it's really really cool. You know, it inspires you to do the same thing. Go, oh, you could do that. Yeah, you know? yeah. We were inspired to go away in the van from one of our customers who had taken their cats to Spain, and but they weren't. I mean, it was like they have a personal social media account, but it wasn't like to celebrate the it wasn't cats a promotion being cat explorers. It was just yeah. like the cats were really important to them. And they wanted them to come with. Yeah, and, and they did inspired it. Us. Yeah, and and it was it, it was a very honest account as well, which I think we appreciated, in that it was it was honest about what your expectations should be, and also some of the pitfalls. And mm. and it isn't sometimes easy, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't always go. It's not the the. Uh, you know the ideal world that you imagine it's always going to be but that's life like with everything and I think being realistic uh is a good thing you know being honest and I think it was their, their sort of honest trip you know yeah I, I believe that and we can do that too. What product service or program has been a game changer for Lola? Oh we've had one recently actually so I mentioned we go away in the van with Lola and she's not the happiest traveler so normally our strategy is just to keep trips really short and like <laughs> we went to Cornwall it took us like five days to go down like what 100 miles but anyway <laughs> recently we've um we put a new bed in the van for her um maybe I can send you guys a photo but it's essentially um it it's one that's designed to hook onto a radiator but we've hooked it onto the grill between the front and back of our um like front cab and the back of the van and like having her own perch has changed car journeys for Lola mm. and I think it, it's interesting for us in its own right. I mean, it's great. She's just much calmer and happier to travel for long distances. But it's actually like really reinforced for me um, how important like getting things right for her sensibilities is in terms of her happiness. So she, it made me realise that like, she's not fundamentally averse to car journeys. She's averse to car journeys when she's not in a place that she feels like really cocooned and safe. And so I think we'll take that forward mm. into other things we do with her. Yeah, that's that's one of those understanding things, isn't it? That you sort of think, oh, she'd be happy just sitting on the bed. But when the vehicle's moving around and she's exposed, it's just not so comfortable. And it's this really nice sort of tube, wooden tube, isn't mm. it? Like a plywood tube that she sits in that's fur-lined. And it's high up and she can see us. And you can, as soon as you look at it, you go, oh, that makes total sense. Mm. It's it's soundproofed. It's cosy. She's kept in one place. When the car moves, she stays put. And, you, and it isn't what it's made for, but it just kind of worked perfectly. And you go, that's brilliant. You know, it also sort of works like blinkers. Yeah. So it gives her, because it is like a tunnel. It gives her tunnel vision in the car. And I think a lot of her... Um, like I wouldn't say distressed but she's like overstimulated in a car so I think she just like tries to shout to everyone she sees and mm. there's like too many people to shout at so she's just like constantly chirping whereas like putting her in the tunnel gives her blinkers and she's just like okay it's just like yeah. mum and dad that I have to worry about yeah so yeah that, that's really work Lily and Kevin thank you so much for joining us we've learned so much and it's been a blast where can we find you online um, so we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Superkit Store and um, on our website at superkit.co. Thank you so much for listening today. Have you been trying out the techniques Lily and Kevin have shared over the last two episodes or will you be trying them out? We would love to hear and see them. So share them to social media. Let us know what you're trying out and tag us at catexplorer.community and Lily and Kevin at Superkit Store. 
If you love what Cat Explorer does, we would love it if you could support us. Share about the Cat Explorer podcast with a friend. Leave a review for the podcast. There's instructions on how to do that in the episode description. Or join the Cat Explorer purse squad at catexplorer.co forward slash support. This is our last episode for 2020. Gosh, what a roller coaster of a year. We'll be taking a mid-season break for Christmas and New Year's and we'll be back in your years with a brand new episode on the 14th of January. We hope you and your family have a great holiday break. That's it for today. Until next time, enjoy giving your kitty the world. <laughs>